whenever you guys are in a situation where you're a customer and you're paying for a service like a haircut, Uber ride, something like that, what is your ideal conversation level? Uh, yeah, it's easy for me. I wear my AirPods everywhere I go. I don't want to ever talk to anybody. I don't ever want to talk to strangers. I don't understand why when I'm shopping, when they have self-checkout, somebody still has to talk to me. It's like, isn't that why you guys <laughs> invented this? <laughs> so, I Yeah, I don't like it. My same thing on planes. The second I walk into an airport, my AirPods are in. I'm not talking to a single person throughout the plane, throughout any of my time. Haircuts are tough, though, I'll admit, because I can't wear AirPods doing that, so you do have to have uh, some back and forth. Uber rides can also be a little bit awkward, but I can I can definitely get away with putting my AirPods in there. So, yeah, modus operandi for me is I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> I'm glad you clarified, because I was going to make sure. I was, I was like, wow, that's a very bold choice to wear your AirPods during a haircut. Yeah, haircuts are honestly like the only one of those situations where I kind of have to. For me, it's always like the first five minutes of a haircut are testing the waters because I just stay deathly silent after I say what I want. <laughs> yeah. But then when they go, so what you doing this weekend? In my head, I'm like, ah, <laughs> damn it. We got a talker. We got a talker, people. Yeah. I mean, for me now, haircuts are not really applicable because I do my own <laughs> haircuts now, but uh, uh, Uber rides. So it just depends on, I guess, the mood I'm in like, and, and if I've already been drinking or not. Like if So, I mean, if... The whole point of Uber rides is, you know, if you're you've been if you've been drinking, you don't want to drive. So sometimes I'll get in the front seat and I'll have a great conversation with the Uber driver. Oh, the front seat? That's I never go the front seat, no Keith. Way. I always first I beeline for the back seat. <laughs> well, see, I didn't know proper proper Uber etiquette until like recently. I would just get in the front seat all the time. <laughs> then then people were like, "You get in the front seat?" I was like, "Oh, you're not supposed to." Like, no, you're supposed to get in the back seat like a cab. I said, oh, I've always just gotten in the front seat. They've moved <laughs> things off the, their passenger seat for me. Yeah, there's like <laughs> condoms. And <laughs> and don't even get me started on the dentist. Why are you talking to me when you have a full object oh, in my mouth? Point. What are yeah. you doing? And why are you asking things that aren't yes or no questions? God, I wish I could have my AirPods in at the dentist. I might have to do that next time. <laughs> You're bold. You're bold with those AirPods. I, I honestly have like pretty significant wax built up, so I have to clean my ears pretty regularly, and I know it's because I wear my AirPods <laughs> way more than the average person. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three professional hitmen itching to break the Continental's no-kill rule with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and I use wine-tasting metaphors for all my shopping needs. I'm Keith Baker, and after this, I'm going to Applebee's. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I currently am involved in seven blood packs. On today's show, we'll be continuing our look back at the John Wick trilogy with John Wick Chapter 2. But before we get to that, Matt, last week we recommended five of the best movies of 2021, which was your favorite, and why should people check that episode out? Yeah, that was a fun episode. It just was kind of a fun excuse for us to go back and watch some of the smaller releases of the year and just some movies that we missed for whatever reason. And it was fun because we kind of opened the conversation talking about theaters and the hybrid model and all that stuff, and we were kind of disappointed with a lot of just 2021 movies. So we actually got to watch five really good ones. So I think my favorite one was the new Mads Mikkelsen movie, Riders of Justice, which was a pretty cool, different 
revenge story than you might think. So I'd definitely check that one out. And then I'll throw one in that I actually saw after our recording that if I had gotten the chance to see beforehand, I would have definitely included. It's the new Nicolas Cage film, Pig. And nobody out there freak out. It's actually a good movie, I promise. Uh, Nicolas Cage plays a truffle hunter. Isn't he missing all his teeth? No. In real life? Whether it's in real life or in the movie, neither. The poster looks like he has no teeth. Well, I don't know. (laughs) I'm pretty (laughs) sure he had teeth in the movie. Uh, Yeah, he plays a truffle hunter who lives in isolation for unknown reasons. And whenever people kind of come out of nowhere and kidnap his pig, he has to return to society and uh, he has to kind of get back in some old circles that he'd rather not to get his pig back. And it's a really good movie. So check that one out, too. Kind of sounds like mud. Uh, No, but the character he plays, you could probably derive some similarities that to like the Matthew McConaughey character. Yeah. So, yeah, it was really good. And Alex Wolf kind of plays his counterpart. So if you liked Alex Wolf, he's kind of up and coming and stuff like Hereditary. Uh, definitely some guy to watch because he was also great in it. All right, man, I haven't seen a new Nicolas Cage movie in a long time. Probably not since Joe. Oh, oh, well, I was going to say, I didn't know if you guys saw Joe. If you saw Joe, then, I mean, the character he plays in this is also very similar to that, like more kind of akin to that. So, yeah. And the kid in Joe is also the kid in Mud, the same actor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mud. I'm Mud. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for the extra recommendation, Matt. Um, and with that, let's get into the main topic for today's show. Uh, after the smash hit that was John Wick, John Wick Chapter 2 released to a ton of hype and high expectations. The studio smartly brought back the same directing and writing crew, and of course, Keanu Reeves' return to the title role. This crew had a very tough task. Not only did they have to continue to expand the world that was established in Chapter 1, they also had to raise the stakes and present a story worthy of John Wick's involvement. So, we all universally loved the first one on a rewatch. What did we think about Chapter 2? Matthew and Keith, let me know what your hopes and dreams were when you found out there would be a chapter two, and then let me know if you think it lives up to the hype that was chapter one. For what I was hoping, I think we got, I think what I hope, what I was hoping for was that we just got a little bit more expansion on his character and the overall like underground world that he lives in. Um, and I think that's all I was really expecting. I, I was kind of just hoping just to go in blind, which I did, and just to see what was going to happen. And it was fun. Yeah, for me, I, I think I probably, whenever John Wick, like the first one, the credits rolled whenever I was watching it in the theater, I don't even know if I was wanting a sequel. I feel like that movie ends so well, and it really is a very contained story. So I don't even know if I had any expectations for a sequel at all. And whenever they announced it, I think I was excited just because it's like, okay, we'll get some more cool action, probably another simple, cool story. I'm sure they'll do some cool stuff with the world they set up, but I had no idea what they could even do based on how that first one ended. It's like, well, how are they going to bring John Wick back? I just hope it's kind of in a interesting way. And um, yeah, I, I, saw th- I saw this movie only once before this, I guess back in like 2017 when it came out, and um, I thought it was fine. And this time watching it, I definitely still feel kind of the same way I I think I just want to like this one way more than I do. I don't think it lives up to the first one. I think the action is good. It's pretty consistently good throughout, but I don't think it has any of the great moments that the first movie had, like the red circle sequence, for example. The choreography is a little bit weird to me. And where this one, 
I think my biggest negative, although I still enjoy it, I think there's a lot of cool elements, is I liked how vague the first movie was. I liked the mystery. I liked how small this whole assassin world felt. And this one just makes it a little too big for my liking. Not that it's international. I just don't know if I like how it feels like every single person we run into is part of this world. Um, and yeah, I like the villain. I like the main villain. That's my favorite part of the world that they kind of added to and to John's history. But overall, I think it's an enjoyable watch for sure, but just definitely nowhere near the first one for me. Whenever I found out there was a chapter two in the works, um, I was really hoping for a movie be- because in the first one, like John Wick declares that he's back. So I was like, OK, John Wick's back. Like, what's that going to look like for a full fledged movie where he is back and as his old self? He's kind of ingrained in his old life. And so when this one opens up and he's still kind of wrestling with if he's back or if he's going back into retirement, um, that surprised me the first time around. This time around, it worked a little bit better for me, especially coming right after chapter one. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you, Matt. I don't think it does live up to the hype that chapter one was. For me, though, I think the action does get more creative in chapter two, which is something I said last time we did a John Wick episode. Um, they do have a, a kind of a fine line to balance between creative choreographed stuff and then like the natural gritty stuff that chapter one did so well. Um, the villain, I think, is a bit more engaging, but he also then does come with his own questions, whereas yep. Michael Nickvist in Chapter 1 was so self-contained and, and kind of a standard villain, but then also had like a little bit more to the surface than standard revenge movie villains do have. So I think there's a lot of things that work really well in this movie, but overall, I, I don't think it lives up to what Chapter 1 was, especially on this rewatch. Yeah, there's a lot more action in this one, and it feels like there's a lot less dialogue as far as the characters go, I did like the new characters that they introduced. I think the overall conversations in the first one were just a little bit more, I guess, engaging than this one. This one just felt a lot more like, let's just watch him kill a shit ton of people. Uh, mm-hmm. That's kind of what I got out of it, but I still enjoyed it nonetheless. Yeah, same here. Yeah, I think every single one of this of this trilogy is so fun, which is, you know, that's a pretty high praise, especially for a trilogy. It's hard to carry that through for three consecutive movies. For sure. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so those are kind of some opening thoughts on John Wick Chapter 2. Let's uh, roll some segue music, and when we come on back, it'll be time to get into the movie facts for John Wick Chapter 2. All right, so let's get into it. Uh, John Wick Chapter 2 is once again directed by Chad Stahelski and written once again by the original creator Derek Kolstad, and our movie score is composed again by Tyler Bates and Joel J. Richard. And for our cast, we of course have Keanu Reeves back as John Wick, Ricardo Scamazio as Santino, Common as Cassian, Ruby Rose as Ares, Lance Riddick as Sharon, with John Lugazamo as Aurelio, Ian McShane as Winston, and Lawrence Fishburne as the Bowery King. So, boys, we've got a lot of new characters coming into the fold for Chapter 2. Any highlights, positive or negative? Uh, Yeah, for me, positives, I would go with Lawrence Fishburne, Lawrence Fishburne and Common. I'm a big Lawrence Fishburne fan. I always thought he kind of played these just kind of lovable kind of guy. And, uh, yeah, he was awesome. And then as far as Common goes, I don't know if you guys seen Common and, and a lot of other things, but I, I watched Hell on Wheels. I think you guys know that. Your favorite and, show. One of my favorite shows, yeah. Nice. And Commons and that. Remember, and Keith, he, we were going to be the Common cast uh, last time you brought up Hell on Wheels on this oh, show. Oh, yeah. Wow, we're back. Well, Commons back. Uh, but yeah, 
I like Common. Uh, I think he's a pretty good actor, and uh, as far as his, the action sequences go with him, it looks like he did a lot of his own stunts too, if I'm not mistaken. So, looked like, uh, yeah, he's a pretty fit guy, so I imagine he would. So, um, yeah, he was he was cool as well. Those are my two positives. And then as far as Keanu and like the normal casts, they were all good as well. Ian McShane. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they did a good job of like giving uh, some additional scenes to the characters that didn't get as much screen time in the first one. It's not like John Leguizamo or Ian McShane get that much in this one, but it's just nice that they're giving like consistent screen time to these characters that help build out the world. So I think Ian McShane is especially good in this one. And yep, I think I'm kind of just in lockstep with Keith. I think Common also super good. Lawrence Fishburne. And then Keith also said it earlier that the villain has, and Austin as well, had some kind of questionable elements to the character, but I do think Ricardo Scamarcio, the performance, is really kind of smarmy and makes for a really fun villain, so I really thought he did a good job, so I'd shout him out too. Uh, The negative is Ruby Rose. It's not her fault. It's not like she's a great actress or anything. I have no clue what they thought they were doing with this this character. It's like, (laughs) hey, Ruby, we know you're not the best actress. Let's see if we can make it even harder for you to be good in this movie. Like, You can't talk. (laughs) It's... I think a genuinely terrible character. So there you go. Yeah, but she knew she was going on to bigger and better things with Batgirl. So and Triple X Return of Xander Cage. <laughs> uh, yeah, it really sucked for her in this one though. I thought she was going to be like this ultimate like sniper kind of person or have some cool skill about her. She really didn't have anything. So <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> yeah, you guys kind of took the main the main players. So I'll give my my highlight I think is going to be the Keanu Reeves and Ian McShane relationship. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the better things that they expanded in chapter two. You can buy their history and the fact that they both care about each other. And then by the time the events of the end of the film unfold, you can also really buy that neither one of them are happy about the situation they found themselves in, but they both kind of adhere to the principles of the high table. So I, I really like everything that unfolded between Keanu and Ian McShane. For sure. Okay, so that's some solid cast and crew talk. Matt, what did you find for any fun facts or production nightmares for John Wick Chapter 2? Yeah, it's funny. I remember when Austin did this uh, for the first John Wick, it was like, I couldn't really find much, and I'm shocked. It, fe- it seems like for these big kind of fun budgets, like super stunt heavy movies, there should be some cool stories. But honestly, no, there was barely anything. I wonder if a lot of that is just a factor of the fact that this whole cast and crew like really enjoys working together. So there's not a ton of drama. Like everybody kind of knows like all these, all the the main people, the directors, the writer and Keanu have all worked together for so long with the matrix and stuff like that. I wonder if they're just also used to each other that like nothing gets out or is like newsworthy while they're filming these. Yeah, and even if there was good stuff, I was just hoping to see some more cool stories. But whatever, here's what I got. So this is the fourth collaboration between Peter Stormare and Keanu Reeves. They worked together on Constantine, Henry's Crime, and Swedish Dicks. And I wanted to read that last one because I thought Swedish Dicks was a funny name for a movie. Um, And here's – okay, this one actually is pretty interesting. So speaking of Peter Stormare – He was cast as Abram Tarasov, the brother of Vigo from the first movie. Um, And he's, you know, he just plays a small role in the beginning, and I thought that was fun. But I found it interesting that the main reason he was cast was because Michael Nickvist was too ill to reprise his role as Vigo. 
Now, unfortunately, I couldn't find any information as to what capacity Vigo would have played originally in this movie, since it seemed pretty clear that he died at the end of the first one. Um, maybe it would have been a flashback or something. I'm not sure, because um, Santino, as the character, he does reference that he helped John Wick escape his impossible suicide mission that Vigo gave him, so maybe that was it. Um, regardless, uh, Michael Nickfist unfortunately ended up passing away of lung cancer a few months after the release of Chapter 2, so he was too ill to do it, so I don't think we'll ever know what role he might have played had that character survived. It's got to be a flashback, for sure, That's what right? I assume. He definitely died in Chapter 1. I wonder if it's like a flashback of him, like moving the car or something since that's like the opening sequence of the movie like storing it or something like that yeah i'm not sure it was just weird verbiage because they were saying that like the reason they cast peter stormare as the brother was because they couldn't get vigo but anyway not sure it is kind of a funny opening like i'm his brother i'm here (laughs) it's it's a weird (laughs) i I think he's really good i love peter stormare i just yeah, what a, what an interesting opening. I had the same stories that my brother had about John Wick. Yeah, to tell the you. exact same stories <laughs> and lines of dialogue. <laughs> a fucking pencil. <laughs> of course, we have the dumb fun stuff like Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne. This was their first reunion since the Matrix movies. Obviously, Chad Stahelski, um, another connection to that. Uh, they have a line in here, so I guess you have a choice. This phrase, of course, was basically directly taken from the Matrix film, so it was just a switch of the character who said it to the other person. Um, we talked last time about the amount of stunts Keanu Reeves performed, and in this movie, he actually performed even more of the stunts. He performed 95% of the film's stunts himself. There were only two in the entire movie that he didn't, and it was the one-two punch of John Wick getting run over by the car that Cassian is driving, and then immediately after, whenever they start fighting and fall down the stairs, Keanu did not do either of those for very good reason, I would say. Yeah, I wouldn't want to roll down some stairs with Common. No. Um, and for anybody <laughs> keeping score at home, that is a 5% increase in stunts from Chapter 1. To prepare for the role, Keanu Reeves trained for three months in judo, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, marksmanship, and driving, so good for him. Then the last thing I got for you guys is the mirror sequence at the end. The fight scene in the museum was the hardest for the whole team to accomplish, not because of the choreography. Chad Stahelski was quoted as saying that was actually the really easy part, but because every single cameraman, operator, and production designer had to learn the entire choreography as well, and they had to meticulously figure out what where they could stand and at what angles so you would not see them in the reflection of any of the mirrors. Stahelski mm-hmm. said it was a 60-40 practical versus digital in this scene. They had to find angles that were safe by scoping out the set for three months in advance. They would have to put mirrors in front of other mirrors to refract instead of reflect themselves to hide them. And then I read that some people apparently just dressed in black to hide themselves. So <laughs> maybe if you looked really closely, you might see somebody. I'm not sure. But that sequence itself took five days to shoot, and they only had 50 to film the entire movie. And that kind of goes back to what we talked about with Chapter 1, where all the cameramen had to also have their own choreography because they were filming the long takes action. So they, in addition to the actors who had their own uh, kind of movements and choreography, so did the cameramen so they could move around the people who were fighting. Yeah, it's super cool. I wish there was more of that. I think we'd get cooler action scenes in movies if that was the case. It's a super trippy scene for sure. When he goes to like try to shoot that one guy and you think like, oh, he's about to get him and then he just shoots his reflection instead. Mm -hmm. It looked really cool. Yeah. So that's all I got. So Keith, how about you hit us with a critical reception? We know John Wick 1 was universally praised. How did this one do? 
Yeah, so worldwide, this one grossed about $171 million. It grossed $90 million uh, worldwide in the first nine days of release. Uh, so that surpassed the entire theatrical gross of the first film, which was $88 million total. So on Rotten Tomatoes, this film had an 89% based on 274 reviews. The response was, John Wick, Chapter 2, does what a sequel should which in this case means doubling down on the nonstop, thrillingly choreographed action that made its predecessor so much fun. So for Time Magazine, they said, The pleasures of John Wick Chapter 2 may be even greater than those of its predecessor. A symphonic achievement and scrappy balls-out action filmmaking because in this one, there's no puppy murder to endure. It's lovers of humankind who are put to the test. John Wick Chapter 2 asked the classic Pulp Fiction question, are human beings worth saving? (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Time Magazine was on some shit when they wrote that review. And last little bit here, Austin, and delivers with the right proportions of joy and sorrow, the classic Pulp answer. Sometimes Okay, we're not reviewing a Christmas carol here. I mean, come on, people. Sometimes no. Wow. What a review. (laughs) The joy and sorrow... It really finds a median in the range that you wouldn't expect from pulp novellas like this. Keanu Reeves really dives deep into a character that's plagued by tragedy, and it makes you ask the question, can humans really endure? (laughs) What the fuck? I know. The pleasurable balls of Keanu Reeves once again (laughs) graces the screen. You have Keith in the background, I like the mirror scene. (laughs) Shut up. The AV Club wrote a shameful example of how Hollywood gun pornography with a hyperactive, blood-soaked, corpse-strewn video game aesthetic only traces elements of a plot and keeps you wondering where the line of decency is as an audience continues to get chummed. That's a garbage review. I mean, (laughs) the first movie built itself on this crazy over-the-top action and was able to sell an interesting story within that. And that's like what the franchise is known for. So, of course, Chapter 2 is going to do more over-the-top action. You can't do less than what your first movie did. Like, you have to always improve and expand what you're bringing to the audience. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this one is nearly as good in terms of, like, the gunplay in the first one. But I don't think it's, like, any more over-the-top or anything. I don't think it's shameful. (laughs) So, whatever. (laughs) You can't criticize an action movie for its action. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I agree. Uh, with most of it, I think the main positives I definitely agree with and the main negatives I definitely agree with. I, I don't think this one has that same great pace that the first one had. I think this one's about 20 minutes longer and it definitely shows. Um, it's not a bad thing. It's not like overly long or anything, but I do think it loses steam at parts. And um, yeah, I just don't think the action's quite as good. But in the positive reviews, when they're talking about the performances and just how over the top and fun it is and how it balances that with this interesting world is something I certainly agree with. So definitely some positive and negatives, but you know, I think they kind of hit it for the most part, except when they're like talking about pulp fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, I I think what the first one really sold the audience on is you're going to get Keanu Reeves being a badass and doing crazy action for an hour and 45 minutes. And you're going to get some cool dark lore within the movie. So, like, at the end of the day, that's what you're coming for with a John Wick trilogy, and that's exactly what Chapter 2 gives you. I don't think you can fault it 
just because it's a fun action movie. Like at the end of the day, that's what this whole trilogy is. It's just fun action. It's not going to give you the most compelling story in the world. The first one didn't do that either, but it is going to do exactly what it set out to do, which is fun action. I completely agree. All right, Keith, thanks for tracking down the critics for us. Um, Matt, I think it's time to play. Can we break it down? In short, once again, John Wick murders everybody. Let's get to our roundtable discussion. All right, well, let's get into it. Time for the roundtable discussion. Keith, do you want to start us off today? We learned more rules in this one. Um, we get introduced to some new characters as well. As far as the lore expansion, new characters, just overall expansion in general. What do you guys think? Yeah, it's um pretty hit or miss for me. I think the movie starts off really solid. I like the element of, well, what can we invent to bring John back into this world? We made a movie that basically brought him back, but then he finished the job and he was done. So, uh-oh, we have a sequel now. What are we going to do? And this whole element of these blood oaths, these markers. So whenever John returned in John Wick Chapter 1 and people heard about him, it's like, oh, well, people that knew him in the past that maybe owed um, favors to each other are going to come out of the woodwork and try and get John to do shit for him because he's so good at what he does. And I was like, okay, this is actually a really smart way to do this. And this is good stakes. I like it. Um, it also kind of is like the whole continental no kill thing because it's the whole thing of like if you don't like stick true to your marker, then that's a killable offense. So it was like, OK, so these are this is interesting. I like this. So I liked all that stuff. But then when it comes to the expansion going after that, I think it just gets a bit muddy. It's not that it's not cool. I feel like it's always cool, but. It's just not as interesting as it could be. How amazing is it that we get to see Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne interact after seeing them in the Matrix trilogy? It's awesome. It's so cool. And the back and forth in that scene is awesome. What does it amount to? It's like the writers couldn't think of anything better than let's do this 20-minute sequence so I can get a gun and I get seven bullets for this cool reason. Again, it's like million dollars per bullet. It's like, okay, I get it. That's fun. And then in the following action scene, it's like they don't even treat that one gun with any reverence. He just does the whole clip and throws it and then grabs a new one. It's like, that was a great sequence with Lawrence Fishburne, but it just felt like Derek Colstead and the writing team was like, we need to bring in Lawrence Fishburne because he was in the Matrix. What are they going to talk about, Derek? Oh, well, I have some cool ideas for lines. It's like, okay, well, why, why are they talking? Like, why is he there? Well, maybe I'll just have have it where John forgot to bring an extra pistol with him that day, even though he always has 12 on him at once. So he really needs a gun. Um, I'm, I'm getting up on a tangent. But what I'm trying to say is I don't think the lore was super justified in this one as the movie went on. Like I said at the top, I just love how mysterious and small the world feels in the first one. I don't like the reveal that Basically, everybody, it almost feels like the way they shoot it, there is no public. It's just everybody's a hitman in this world. And like they're either part of the Continental or they're part of the Bowery Kings gang or they're part of the High Table, whatever it may be. It just makes it feel a bit bigger than I want. And yeah, I mean, it gets cool scenes where he drops like a gold coin in a, like a beggar's cup. And it's like, oh, shit, like this guy is with the sword and he kills the two guys pursuing. Awesome. But just like at the end, whenever it amounts to <laughs> Nick Shane's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have I'm going to hire all these people that are hitmen to 
to stop walking at one point to show John I mean business. So it's just little things like that with the expansion, the sequel that didn't work for me. But, you know, there's definitely cool moments along the way. I just don't know if they were all justified. Okay, so I have a few counterpoints to a lot of stuff you just said there, Matt. Um, one, I do agree with you. I like I like the fact that John Book is back, so it causes a lot of people to come crawling out of the woodwork. In a weird way, it reminds me of Lex Luthor from the end of BVS. How he's like, the bell's been rung, Superman's dead, so Darkseid's coming. It's almost like the bell's been rung, like John Wick is back, so all of his past demons interactions are coming back and, and out of the woodwork. And it's also cool because it's like, John, I get why you did what you did in the first one, but there's consequences for that. You're John Wick. If you're going to come out of the woodwork and kill all these people, like, you know, you're going to be in for it. Like, people are going to want shit from you and you can't escape that. So you're right. I mean, that was super cool. And then to your point about how, like, in this one, the whole world is just this organization. I actually think it makes a a bit of sense um, for Chapter 2 to be so centered around the high table because his mission is to take out a senior member of the high table. And it also kind of allows for more natural world building to have it be so centered around the high table and, and what this organization is and kind of its leadership. And, and that's John Wick's mission. I think it is pretty justified because the whole plot is centered around the high table. So it wouldn't make sense for there to be like a lot of outside involvement when everything he's doing is, is still focused on his organization. And then to your point about how we get all the setup with Lawrence Fishburne only for it to amount to a gun that he uses really quickly and tosses away. I kind of like that because I don't think John Wick would have a reverence for a gun with seven bullets. I think he just sees it as another tool. I like how immediately he fires off all seven rounds and just picks up another gun. Like it, it makes him feel so efficient and so just good at what he does to me. That's true. It's yeah. I guess it's just one of those things where it's tough when we see him do the whole, you know, we hear about the pencil in the first one and then this one again, and then we see him kill two guys with a pencil and then he gets like slightly injured and it's like he's in a situation where I don't have a gun. I can't kill these two guys chasing me. Still manages the best common though. Yeah, somehow. While being injured, injured, so yeah. like still kind of lives up to his lore there too. I guess what I'm kind of thinking about now and kind of realizing is I really like the plot of this movie. I think for a sequel and for the constraints they had by telling a full story arc in the first one, this was the best they could do. I like the whole Santino stuff. I like Go Kill My Sister and then the twist, oh, I'm actually getting you to do that because I want to see it at the high table. And we don't learn much about the high table. It's just like these are the people in charge of this crazy world. It's enough of an explanation. I guess like the biggest offenders to me is all the stuff that they threw in on the side along the way to kind of pad out the world. Some of it's super awesome, like seeing him go to like a sommelier and it's like, oh, is he going to a wine tasting? And it's like, no, it's guns. It's like, okay, that's cool. (laughs) But then it's like the Bowery King again. It's like, what is he, Lawrence Fishburne? But it doesn't really amount to much for me. And then every like all the public just seeming like this world is so big i don't love that either and yeah it's not a huge thing or anything it's just kind of my main concern like with the movie that kind of gets compounded on in three but keith what did you think i mean you're bringing up the question is it something you're still trying to figure out did you like how things got a little bit bigger did that work for you no yeah i liked how it got a little bit bigger but it's that ending scene with winston and all the people like in central park yeah that's the worst offender for sure yeah because if you take that scene out, then it then it definitely is still. I think it's still evident that it's it's still an underground organization because when they're when they're fighting at at these uh, like at the raves and in the uh, the trains, the public is screaming like as if an actual like shooter active shooter situation yeah. was going on. So they don't seem like they're in on it at all. But then when you get to that that Winston scene at the end, 
like 200 people are walking through Central Park and they all just stop, then it's kind of it's kind of just contradicts all of that. It's so weird too. It's almost like too matrixy since this whole crew worked on the Matrix. Like it, it's kind of what it feels like. It's like oh, it's we're in this fake world where everybody works for Winston. It just doesn't make any sense. Like there's not even enough rooms at the Continental for all those people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, and that's also the weird thing is like, well, apparently none of them even stay at the Continental. Like, I mean, people are getting texts when they're playing violin as like a beggar in a subway. It's like, I understand you're like a hit person, like a hitman, whatever you want to call it. But it's like, so why are you here? Are you trying to make money? Are you scoping out another target? Or do you just stand here and wait to get texts? It's like. It's just weird. It's like, it's not cool. <laughs> it's like, so whenever they try and make it too big, that's where it loses me. But again, it's it's mostly a nitpick. I just think it's, it honestly, my biggest <laughs> thing, it, just, it makes me laugh when I shouldn't. Like seeing all these people stop, seeing people like playing violin, like, ooh, my phone's ringing. <laughs> I gotta go kill John Wick. It's like, why are they standing there? It's just kind of goofy. See, I think the, the violin person would play better if they hadn't done the whole crowd stopping because then it's like oh that person's like on a mission no, and they're just trying to blend in you know yeah. what i mean but the yeah, fact yeah. that the whole crowd stopped it's like what did he text her and say come to central park we're gonna stop at the one minute mark <laughs> it's it's also the thing <laughs> i was also laughing at the end because it's the thing i talked about the first john wick whenever miss perkins gets killed because she conducted business on continental grounds and <laughs> at the end of this movie winston's like John, I did the best I could. You know what you did. You killed on continental ground. And he's like, do what you gotta do, Winston. And then I'm just thinking about Adrian Palicki getting shot in the head. And he's like, but it is not to be. (laughs) 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 It's just like, oh, man, that sucks for her. And then John just runs away. Oh, man. It's, it's, It's pretty funny. But again, it's just a testament to the Keanu, Ian McShane thing. But just some goofy world building stuff. Uh, Okay, so let's move on and uh, let's dive into the action a bit more now. So I do think, like I said at the top, that the action and the set pieces get more creative in this one. At the same time, though, there are sections, um, particularly in Rome, where the choreography feels more staged and less natural than the action sequences in Chapter 1. How do you guys think they did walking that fine line between believable gritty action and mind-blowing staged choreography? Mm, yeah, I think I can agree to that to some extent. And then uh, specifically to the Rome scenes, I really don't know how to describe the choreography, but there's that scene in the rave where there's all these different like uh, structures of, of, of rocks and blocks and stuff like that. And and the bad guys or whatever guys are, that are after him are kind of coming around the, the wall. And this is really hard to explain if you're not really, if you can't see me, but they're kind of like coming around the wall in a, in a perfect in a perfect motion to where he can shoot them. So it's like, they're not ever in cover. Like, it's always just like this perfect uh, shot for him versus the first one, like you said, Austin, it seems a little bit it seems a little bit more realistic that he's actually able to, I don't know. And, and I guess the first one has a lot more close, like close encounter, uh, actual hand-to-hand action. So maybe that's what it is. This one's more long distance shooting than the first one. I also, you know, whenever you talk about close quarters, I think that also applies to the camera. I think this movie has a lot more wide shots. And while I appreciate the variety, I don't think it really does these actors and stunt people any favors. I think right off the bat in this movie, it feels a little bit goofy in the opening scene after he's out of the car. 
Uh, and speaking of, I mean, we talked about how we didn't love the last car chase in the first one. I think this opening car scene is pretty bad. Until he gets out. Once he gets out, it's cool. But once he gets out, while it is cool, I feel like it, it would have been a bit better if they had done some of the shots from the first one where it's like a bit more closer up, a bit more visceral when he's like grabbing on people and throwing them or jumping and spinning on them and whatever. Whereas here, watching Keanu Reeves like, you know, jump on someone and throw them down, it just doesn't look as cool whenever you can see their entire body at the same time. But as for the initial question of, like, things feeling staged, it's it's funny because I didn't even really think about it that way until you brought it up. All I know is I just – I don't know what was missing. I think overall the first movie just had so much variety in its action. Tons of gunplay, tons of hand-to-hand combat, little bit of car combat, and then even in, like, the gunfights and in the hand-to-hand, you got some, like – different elements where oh it's like this is a knife fight oh wait no it's a gunfight or in the gunfight like maybe he'll throw something or he'll jump and it turns into a fist fight in this one it just felt a while it was cool just felt a bit safe i mean you talked about how he kind of staged his guns in the rome sequence and it's cool watching him like get to his next gun and it's like oh there's actually a difference whenever he's shooting like an assault rifle as opposed to a pistol like that's cool it's like oh now the shotgun's out And he's just like moving through all these guys. And I really don't know what was missing. Maybe you guys feel the same way, but it just felt like in the red circle sequence in the first movie or in his house in the first one, it just felt like each kill was a bigger deal and it was harder for John. And in this one, it's just like in that tunnel sequence in Rome, he kills like, I don't know, 50 people. And it's, I guess, cool in concept that he can do that, but not any of those kills felt cool or interesting to me. Like it it was fun choreography, but it wasn't like special. And to play devil's advocate on my own point, it is also cool to see what John Wick is capable of when he has time to prepare and like scout out a mission. Like to your point, Matt, he does kill a ton of people in Rome, but he's also prepared and and, like knows exactly what his path is to complete his mission and then also get out. So there is is cool elements to all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, To go back to kind of the natural action in this movie, I think there's really only one sequence of it, and it's the subway scene, Keith's um, beloved subway scene from... When we talked oh. <laughs> about chapter one. Yeah. Um, that's my standout for sure in this movie. I love that whole sequence. And I, I think the fun thing about it is John Wick is caught off guard. So it kind of does take us back to the elements of the first movie that we liked where he's vulnerable in this scene. He's injured. He's having to really kind of think on his feet. He's not prepared. And that action feels a lot more like chapter one did. Yeah. And I, that one and I think the fights with Common were pretty uh, decent as well. I mean, I like, I mean, it was close quartered. Going back to our point there, especially that stair scene. I like oh, how, yeah. like, unrefined that is. Like, they take a long time to get down the stairs, but you feel every impact of them rolling. Like, it, it that one does feel really realistic. Yeah, man, it's a shame. I feel like we should have got a little bit more of that. It kind of felt like, I don't know, maybe it's just common. Maybe they felt more comfortable having him do close quarters for whatever reason. I don't know, but it's like they put all their close quarter stuff in those sequences, and it was awesome. It was definitely my highlight, too, watching them kind of go from reuniting in the street, uh, initially shooting it. Whenever they initially shoot at each other, too, at the rave, it's super awesome. Then it turns into like a hand-to-hand fight, and then the subway clears out, and the knife fight. I mean, that was just great. So cool. And when they're walking through the multi-leveled area it's of so the subway. It's so goofy, but it's so awesome. It's so fun. It's so I love fun. it. When they're shooting, shooting through shooting their coat pockets. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's cool. We talked about it with nobody on our last episode, how I love the kill whenever he pins a guy against a table and then, like, stands on him and starts crawling up the wall, like, with his back. 
just to kind of choke him out with his legs. And then like he has the guy's gun and he's like shooting other people. He's choking out this guy. This movie had kind of a similar scene where I was like, it's just like a small little moment that I love so much. Whenever oh, I he think tries, I know what you're going to say. He, yeah, I'm sure you do. Whenever he tries to get a guy with a shotgun, but it either jams or he's out of bullets. Oh, no. So he oh. just like, he like kind of stabs the guy with the shotgun and holds him down while he puts in one bullet to shoot him point blank with a shotgun. I was like, okay, that was cool. <laughs> That one's sweet, but there is also another one. Um, when he's up at when he's up top at the rave, he comes around a corner. He's out of ammo. He has to chamber around in his gun, but he does so while holding a guy over the gun. So he chambers it, pulls the trigger, and you just see the the, the bullet go through the back of the guy's skull. Mm-hmm. That kill's pretty sweet too. Yeah, there's lots of good like individual ones. What about you, Keith? Yeah, <laughs> another one that's probably more one of the more funnier kills is the uh, the big sumo wrestler guy. Oh my He's god! Yeah, that was that crazy. <laughs> he kicks that guy in the nuts like four times. He doesn't even flinch at all. No, the guy just throws him through that glass wall like he was a rag doll. That's a good point, Keith. Maybe he does kick that guy in the balls a lot. Maybe Time Magazine is right to bring up balls in their review. They Maybe. were onto something. You know, we talked about Michael Nickfist and Alfie Allen, kind of their combination as the villains in the first one. What did we think here? We've talked about the performances, but I want to know more about what you guys thought of the villains as characters. You have uh, Ricardo Scamario, you have Ruby Rose, any other characters you guys want to mention? What did you think of the antagonists of John Wick Chapter 2? Yeah, um, Ruby Rose sucks. She's very <laughs> underused. Not her fault, but she's underused. Um, Common is great as a villain who can go toe-to-toe with John Wick in combat. And my favorite thing about Santino is... Um, he's a bit different from Michael Nickfist because he is in with the kind of senior leadership of the high table. So he understands how a little, I think, I think he understands a little bit more about how this organization works and he knows how to twist it and play it to his own game. So I think that's my favorite thing about Santino is just that he kind of understands more of the inner workings of this mysterious organization and, and is really kind of our, I guess, window into like more of like the leadership structure of this this dark organization that John Wick somehow belongs to. No, I mean, as far as Santino goes, I, when I say he was weak, I just say he's maybe a little bit weaker than Vigo. I just thought Vigo was a little bit more badass and believable and just seems like more of a killer, which I think is what all these guys kind of need to be as, as villains. And this guy just wasn't, I just didn't feel intimidate, intimidated by this guy. I just felt, I think you said the word earlier, like swarmy, just kind of, Kind of like a weasel. I didn't really feel like he was like the ultimate badass bad guy. I agree with that. I think um, they did a good job. He fit into the story very well, whereas Vigo Tarasov not only fit into his story, but also just had such presence and such charisma and funny moments and just just a great villain and a villain I loved even more in the rewatch we did of the first movie. And I really liked I really liked the villain here too. But yeah, I, I guess I kind of mentioned it earlier. Don't you guys think, just based on how the movie was structured, because I guess Ruby Rose is um, Santino's muscle, so to speak, and then Cassian, the character Common plays, is Gianna's muscle. It, it it's just kind of weird that he goes to kill Gianna and then he gets into like a thirty minute fight with Common, and it's like maybe they just should have had Common be more of a presence have common be like the santino bodyguard or something it was just weird because then it's like whenever ruby rose comes back into the movie it's like oh yeah she's the main villains like bodyguard and then the fight they have at the end lasts maybe 30 seconds the choreography's terrible she dies so easily and it's like 
what was the point of that? The common stuff was way cooler. So it was just kind of like a weird, I felt like I could, maybe swapping those villain characters might have helped a little bit. Yeah, especially since like in the first one, they established that there is like an etiquette to this world and characters honor their agreement. I think it would have been interesting if after John Wick kills Gianna, if Santino is good with the outcome and he honors his agreement. But then because Common and Gianna had a relationship, he then steps in as the villain for the second half. He can still put the hit out. The same events can kind of play out. Um, and, and then you can have Common as more of the main villain for the second half of the film. I feel like that would have also fit better with the whole theme of John finished his mission in the first one, but there are consequences of that. When you're the kind of person with the name of John Wick with that legendary status, you can't just come back, even if it's for a personal reason, without getting courted for other things. And in this crazy world with blood oaths and all this shit, like you're going to, you know, you're going to be forced to do things. So the idea of him killing Gianna and it's like, well, I had to do what I was forced to. And then that scene at the bar with Common where he's like, I don't care. Like, you killed someone I cared about, so I'm going to kill you. I feel like that would have fit in with the whole theme of consequence a bit better if he had been a bit more of a focus in the second half. Or, I mean, I don't, I mean, spoiler alert, or if you have him be the main villain of the third one or something, um, whereas now we just haven't seen him. So hopefully he comes back. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it would have been cool if Santino had said, oh, we're square. But at the same time, I do like the element of John meeting Gianna and she's like, John, what are you doing here? Like, you and I are friends. And he's like, yeah, we are friends. I, we, we like each other. And it's like, when you kill me, Santino's going to take over. And guess where he's taking over? New York, where you live. Is that is that cool to you? Does that sound good? It's like, fuck, no, I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> so it's kind of cool, but I think they probably could have done maybe a little bit more with it. I don't know. You know what I think, John? I think you're addicted. You're addicted to the vengeance. <laughs> <laughs> you love it you love it John <laughs> also just quick shout out before we move on from the villain talk I know Austin in particular you didn't love the third act fight scene of uh, John Wick chapter one I didn't either I, I didn't I don't think I disliked it as much but I did appreciate that this time around it was like we're not gonna have like some grandiose like knife battle between the main hero and the main villain. It's just going to be a scene in the Continental where you know the rules and something unexpected happens. It was like, okay, that's a cool end to a villain that didn't have to be like a lame kind of third act fight scene. So I appreciated that. I also like how similar to the Alfie Allen kill, he doesn't even hesitate. He just walks in and pulls the trigger, even though Winston is there saying, don't do this, don't do this. Like he's still going to do it regardless. I love Winston in that scene. John, just walk away. (laughs) <laughs> I can't because I'm addicted to the vengeance. <laughs> so like we talked about last time, whenever we unpack kind of the epilogue and just the third act in general, I wanted to kind of talk about the ending here because I know when I first saw it, I was definitely surprised. So what did you guys think of the whole resolution to Santino's story? John breaking the continental rules and killing him, getting excommunicated for it, and then the whole idea of setting up the next movie that every assassin in the world is coming after him, not just in New York, but it's going international. How'd that all play for you? As we touched on, it is a bit clunky, and when you compare it to what happened to Miss Perkins in one, it's it's like kind of weird that John Wick gets a pass. Um, But just in terms of setting up Chapter 3, I think getting excommunicated was a great cliffhanger ending for Chapter 2. I was going to say, yeah, it played well with the whole conversation with Winston, but it did not play well with with the weird everybody stopping in Central Park thing. 
I feel like that would have been better off like at the Continental having that conversation, like maybe right after he kills Santino. Yeah. Um. Instead, he kind of gave John some little a little time to like breathe and <laughs> go for a walk. Uh-huh. <laughs> um. You're right, Austin. I think it was the perfect cliffhanger, and the way that Ian McShane delivers it is just so crazy and just perfect. He's like, "It's international, John. <laughs> it's going live in one hour." Do you guys think it's weird that the dog doesn't play a larger role in this movie? Yes and no. Yes, because it's like, well, that was the whole thing with the first one. And no, because it's like, if they had done any more with the dog, then it would have been like, I don't know. I think it would have been like a whole expectation like shift. It's like, oh, is this dog going to die or what's it going to be? The only thing I think is weird is that John won't name the dog. I think that's <laughs> weird. But I'm glad actually that the dog like isn't. Like with them the entire way, because then it's just like, oh, the dog's gonna die, like in the first one. So I like that he got with the dog at the end. It was fun. Unfortunately, we don't get to check in on our um, time to dead dog measurement uh, because it's uh, an hour and forty five minutes. Because no dogs die in this movie, which is a good thing. I'm not advocating for dead dogs, but you know. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but Keith actually brought up a good point earlier. I like how Winston's like, yeah, he just shot a guy in the head, but just give him like 24 hours and then we'll talk to him. <laughs> it's like the timing is is pretty fun in the movie in terms of like Lance Reddick showing up at his burned down house while it's raining. It's like, hey, John, can you, can you get in my car? <laughs> it's also funny, too, because the scene before that, Lance Reddick gives him his dog back. So it literally goes, yeah. Lance Reddick gives him the dog back and then Lance Reddick shows up to take him to be excommunicated. To be presumably killed based on our expectation. They take him to the exact same spot where he shot Perkins in the head. And that like underground thing in New York, and then it's just like, oh, I guess he'll live. Maybe he shouldn't have given the dog back if he thought yeah, he was going to be killed. <laughs> He's like, I'll let him spend 24 hours with him. Maybe he'll name him in the next 24 hours. <laughs> um. All right. So that's going to do it for our discussion on John Wick Chapter 2. We'll have to see in uh, John Wick Parabellum if the dog ends up with a name. Uh, but before we do close out today, we do, of course, need to do the Arnie's Podcast Awards. Um, If you're new this week, this is, of course, a segment where we give an award to anything in this episode. And our pal Keith always starts us off. Keith, what is your award today? Yeah, we just mentioned him. And I'm going to give the Best Customer Service Award to Mr. Lance Reddick as the Continental Front Desk guy. Um, He's always there at the front desk. The guy must never sleep. Um, He's always pristine in his suit. He even watched John's dog for like a whole, I don't know how many days it was. And then, um, and then he even go. He even went to John's house and picked him up. So, that guy shows some true customer service. I'm gonna give him that award. Give him a raise, Winston. Give him a raise. Um, okay, my award is uh, is gonna go to Winston actually, and it's the best flash mob organizer. The fact that this guy can stop all of Central Park on a whim. Who knows what he could do if uh, if he was active during that viral internet trend a few years ago? Yeah. Um. It sounds like. I mean, frankly, they deserve those awards. I feel like they really put in the work and they earned that. My person, I guess, also put in the work and earned it, but not in a good way because the award I'm giving is the don't call me that award. You know, whenever we're growing up, I know I can. I don't know if you guys actually can relate to this. I certainly can. I always went by Matt. That's what I want to be called. But when someone calls you Matthew, it's like, whoa, this could be serious. I could be getting in trouble. Same thing here. You call the man John. His name is John. That's what he wants to be called. Santino, when you 
spout off with your smarmy little sassy, yeah, Jonathan, walk away. You deserve the bullet in the head. So sorry. You call if you had said John walk away, you would have lived. Jonathan, no. His mother called him Jonathan, <laughs> not you, Santino. <laughs> Counterpoint, it works when Winston calls him Jonathan. It does. It also worked when Gianna called him Jonathan 20 years prior when she was riding him behind Santino's back. all right uh well on that note it's uh time for us to get out of here before we end up in an arnie's after dark situation (laughs) hold on wait now now i have to do it john one more time for old time's sake yeah (laughs) (laughs) arnie's after dark we got to do that eventually um, all right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode and the series, please make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really do appreciate that so we can continue to grow this show. And please leave us reviews as well. Uh, even if you don't want to write anything, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, that really does help. At The Arnie's is our social, and TheArnie's.media is the website. And we'll be back on Tuesday with another new release. It's time to break down James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. And of course, we'll be back in two weeks to continue our retrospective and review series covering John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. Ooh, got some good stuff coming. I feel like The Suicide Squad, man, that's a movie that we've known about for God knows how long. Three, four years at this point, finally getting to watch it. God, we might get a Jared Leto cameo. Let's hope so. Uh, Or hope not, in my case. Um, but yeah, that'll be fun to break down. Like Austin said, John Wick will be closing that out. Can't wait for John Wick Chapter 4 next year. And on top of that, we have some good ideas coming up. We have some more bracket ideas that we're super excited about. We have some more retrospective and review series that will be fun. So get ready for those. We'll be announcing those soon. And on top of that, please let us know what bonus series should we be talking about soon. We've done Loki. We've done WandaVision. We've done The Boys. We've done The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. What do you want us to talk about next? Let us know. Lastly, we want to hear from you. Message us on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. Send us your favorite movie of 2021. Let us know if you think Suicide Squad will be good and help us decide on our next bonus series like Matthew said. Any, I'm sorry, Matt said. Anything oh, I'm you kill say, you. <laughs> we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. All right, everybody. Have a great week and we'll talk to you soon. Jonathan, walk away. <laughs> <laughs>